Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Miracles. By definition, a miracle is a surprising and welcomed event that cannot be explained away by natural or scientific laws. These events defy logic. Therefore, it's considered to be a work of a divine agency. Welcome back to the Avery After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Avery Ross, and I want to wish everyone a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate. I hope you're having a great holiday season so far. And today's episode is a very special one. Today's episode is all about Christmas miracles, and all these are true stories. We all need a miracle every now and again. And from a scientific standpoint, miracles cannot be ruled out by science. MIT professor and scientist Ian Hutchinson wrote a book called, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? In the book, he makes a myriad of points, but can basically be summed up that many scientists believe in miracles as well as they have seen, heard, and studied things that happen in life that just defy the odds. AKA, a scientist can sit in a lab for days, months, years, but some things in life are truly just supernatural. So let's get into some of these amazing, incredible, touching stories. Our first story comes from a woman named Roberta Messner. Roberta was bummed out when her work schedule changed at the very last minute and her Christmas plans were ruined. She was going to miss her friend's Christmas party for nothing, or so she thought. This is the Christmas shift. I made it to my friend Jesse's Christmas party minutes before midnight, just as everyone was leaving. Just my luck. Too late. I'd spent my entire night stuck at the hospital where I worked as a nurse. All thanks to a little voice inside my head. Take candy shift, it said, over and over. Candy was a new nurse on staff, a single mom, She'd asked me to cover for her on Christmas Eve so she could spend time with her little girl. I felt bad for Candy, I really did. But every Christmas Eve, I went to Jessie's house. Her party was the highlight of my holiday season. There was a gift exchange, carols, and sugar cookies as far as the eye could see. I told Candy I couldn't help her out. Afterwards, though, that little voice nagged me until I gave in. I figured God had some special reason for me to be at the hospital that evening. But it turned out to be one of the worst nights ever. Two code blues, no free ICU beds, and disgruntled patients. The only thing that kept me going was the thought of stopping by Jessie's after my shift. I'd never stayed at her parties past 10 o'clock, but maybe there'd be some sugar cookies and a few carols left to sing by the time that I got there. Instead, people were getting back into their cars. Why did I even bother coming this late? Suddenly, a scream pierced the night. Help! I looked up, and Jesse's elderly next-door neighbor was standing on his porch, waving his arms. Help! he yelled. My wife is dying. I need a doctor. I rushed to him. I'm a nurse, I said. What's going on? He led me inside. His wife was lying unresponsive on their living room floor cold and clammy to the touch. I recognized the problem all at once. Insulin shock. The older man was frantic. She has this medicine, but I have no clue how to use it. 
he said, holding up an injection. I crouched down beside the woman and administered the medicine. And within minutes, her color returned and her skin became warm and dry. The ambulance arrived just after the clock struck 12, Christmas morning. I finally made it over to Jessie's and explained what happened. Good thing you were here so late, she said. Here, you deserve a cookie. She was unexpectedly at the right place at the right time. That, to me, is never a coincidence. Our next story involves a supernatural kind of dream. Judith Peterson had no idea what it meant, until she did. This is the gift. Out shopping with my mother, I watched as the sales clerk removed a pair of chandelier earrings from the glass case and dropped them in my waiting hands. They felt real, but I still had trouble believing it. The earrings, thin, hand-forged hoops and dangling delicate chains, all in shimmering gold. I was mesmerized. Time seemed to stop. The department store clatter faded in the background as I held one up to my ear and looked in the mirror. A terrific Christmas gift, the clerk said cheerfully. For your mother, maybe? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw my mother walking over from the perfume counter. They're... they're not for anybody, I murmured to the clerk. How could I explain to her when I couldn't even explain to myself? I hadn't told anybody about the dream, not even my mother. The dream was the strangest one I'd ever had, on the strangest, most terrible night. One month ago, close to midnight, I had returned home from a party when the phone rang. My mom was on the other end of the line, breathless and panicking. I held the receiver close to my ear, straining to make out her words. It's your sister, she said. She had a brain aneurysm. I'm on my way, I said, reaching for my keys. It was snowing and the hospital was more than two hours away, but I had to see her. There's no point risking the drive at this hour, my mother said. The doctor says she's not going to wake up. Just come in the morning. I sat on the edge of my bed long after we hung up, desperate for sleep but scared of waking up to a world without Jan. She was only 43 years old. Never again would I hear her voice or sit at her kitchen table, eating home-baked treats from her little cookie tin. I crawled under my comforter, and I wanted to talk to my sister again, but I wouldn't get the chance. Instead, I spoke into the darkness. Forgive me, Jan, if I've ever hurt you. I love you dearly. That night, sleep came in fits, and one odd image breaking into my consciousness. A human ear shaking, vibrating almost violently. The ear was pierced, and dangling from it was a beautiful gold earring, smooth, perfectly round hoops, and fine linked chains. Was this Jan's way of letting me know she had heard me? The thought was as confusing as it was comforting. Jan died five days later, never waking up. In those hard days that followed, it was that dream, strange as it was, that I held on to. I played it over and over in my head the shaking ear and the dangling gold earring that adorned it. And those exact earrings were the pair that the sales clerk had just put in my hands. What did it mean? Find anything? My mother said, joining me by the jewelry counter. These earrings, I said. I lifted them up so she could get a better look. I... I had a dream about them. The night that Jan... (gasps) My mom covered her face with her hands. She was so upset, I put my arm around her. I'm sorry, I began to say. Judith, you don't understand, my mom said. I have those exact earrings at home. Jan bought them to give you for Christmas. All I can say is, wow. So was that her sister sending her a message from the other side? 
And what does that message mean? Maybe that although her sister wasn't there physically with her on Earth anymore, the two were still infinitely connected. Amazing. And now just a quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. Our next story is a great one. For all my true crime aficionados, this will be right up your alley. This is the Christmas Star. Craig Johnson wrote, I'm a CSI crime scene investigator for Los Angeles County, and it's a a 24-hour-a-day, 365-day-a-year job, even on Christmas Eve. I went to bed that night hoping to sleep until morning when my three-year-old daughter would rush in, giddy and impatient to open her gifts. But at midnight, the phone rang. We need you at a crime scene, the dispatcher said. There had been a home burglary. It can't wait until morning, the deputy at the scene told me when I called for details. You'll understand when you get here. I drove to the location. The deputy met me at the door. Try and be quiet. Their kids are sleeping, he said, leading me inside. A man and woman were holding each other in the dimly lit hallway, their eyes red from crying. I walked into the living room. Now I understood. Lying on its side was a skinny Christmas tree, nothing but carpet where Christmas presents should have been. We saved all year for those gifts, the man said to me, if there's anything you can do. Determined, I dusted everything in the house for fingerprints. There was no chance of solving the case without them. By tomorrow, the stolen goods would be history. But the thief had been thorough. Everything had been wiped clean. I'm sorry, I said to the couple, dismayed. But what could I do? I headed for the door. When suddenly, a golden glint shined right into my eyes. Way too bright to ignore. What is that? I wondered. I swung the front door out of the way and looked behind it. On the floor was a gold star tree topper. But how did it get there? Maybe the burglar had touched it. I dusted it and developed the most complete full fingerprint I had ever seen. At the station, I ran it against our records, and we caught him. The identified suspect lived right around the corner from the victims. I called the deputy with the information, then drove back over to the family's home. I pulled up the same time the deputy did. The suspect was cuffed in the back of the police car. The deputy grinned and popped the trunk full of the stolen gifts. We got our man, he said. Yes, we did. But not without a little help from a star behind a door in dim light that shone just for me. This is a great lesson. Don't mess with kids and families on Christmas. It's a sacred day. And that story is so special because it was like Craig was supposed to be at that scene. It seemed like that star stuck out to him and only him. Another Christmas miracle. This next story is one for all the animal lovers out there. I myself love animals. One of my dreams is to open up a rescue for dogs, cats, horses, cows, everything else in between. But being an animal lover... We have our fears, right? Most of us have winced at the thought of losing a pet. If they somehow got out of the house or slipped their leash and ran off, I don't know about where you live, but for me, when I see a missing dog or a missing cat poster around town, my heart drops. You never want to see any animal or pet alone out there, especially in the colder winter months. Well, this fear became a reality in our next story. This is The Return. A few years back, Ashley Power from Spruce Grove, Alberta, was devastated. She had lost her dog, Frankie. Her beloved black Labrador got away from her one day, and she couldn't find him anywhere. 
She began putting up flyers, sending them hundreds of miles away in hopes of finding her dog again. But one month turned into two, two turned into three, and before she knew it, it had been five months and there was no sign of Frankie. She told reporters, it was horrible. I was in disbelief. After all that time, she was starting to give up on all hope of finding him. When one day, she received a phone call from the Langley Animal Protection Society in Abbotsford, British Columbia. As it turns out, they had found Frankie. The craziest part is, this was over 600 miles away from where Ashley lived and where she had lost him. Five months and 600 miles later. So how would she get Frankie back? 600 miles equates to about 10 hours of driving. So LAPS asked a local truck driver to return Frankie as it was quite a distance. And this truck driver was more than happy to do so. I couldn't find his name anywhere or I would love to give him proper kudos, but he said, that's the reason I'm doing this. He also said that as soon as he got Frankie back home to Ashley, he livened right up and was all over her. Frankie was successfully returned to Ashley just days before Christmas, and she told an interviewer, it was a Christmas miracle for us, absolutely. Can you believe that? 600 miles away. If I were Ashley, I would have that dog glued to my side for the rest of my days. And it's just another great example to never ever give up hope. Just when you're starting to think it's over, there is no hope, that's usually just before you're about to see a miracle. Next up is a story that I feel like many may relate to as, oh my gosh, how expensive everything is lately. I went to the grocery store the other day, I got five or six things and it was like $130. I mean, what? This is even more difficult for families during the holidays. And the Reyes family was having a rough couple months and with Christmas approaching, they didn't know how they could give their young daughter a proper Christmas. This is the Christmas letter. The Reyes family had fallen on hard times in Christmas 2011. Rose's husband was having trouble finding work, and with Christmas coming up, they didn't know how they were going to swing gifts for their daughter. Rosa decided to continue a family tradition of sending letters to Santa via balloon. So one day, she had her daughter write a letter to Santa about what she wanted for Christmas. She tied that letter to a balloon and then released it into the sky. She watched as her daughter waved goodbye to the balloon. And as it turned out, the letter knew where to go and who to go to, Northern California. The letter landed on a ranch belonging to a man named Lane Sanderson. He was riding an ATV with his son when they spotted the letter. Lane asked a ranch hand to translate the letter, and after this, he knew exactly what to do. Lane began investigating, trying to track down the family and their little girl. He finally did, and he told Rosa that they had found the letter. From there, they were on a mission. Lane's wife, Julie, went out with their own daughter, and the two picked out clothes and a doll for the little girl, and then sent the items via express to the Reyes family. And that little girl ended up having a very Merry Christmas indeed. That letter ended up in the exact right hands, and I like to believe there was a supernatural hand in getting it there. Just some more Christmas magic for you. Our next story is another true tale of divine intervention. A woman named Rochella was in a real jam one Christmas and truly just needed a miracle. And she found one. This is The Major. 
Every December, our Candlewood Lions Club throws a Christmas party at a local firehouse for the special needs children of Green Chimneys, a residential school, and it is a blast. I dress like an elf and help Santa pass out presents to the kids. There's also a magician, a lunch buffet, even a tour of the firehouse. But driving there last year, I was in a panic. We had exactly 40 presents to give out, enough for the children we usually expected, but not enough for the 60 we just heard would be coming. 60 kids and only 40 gifts. Only Santa Claus could help solve this problem. It's too late to buy more, I thought. The kids will be here soon. The most heartbreaking part, for some, these were the only gifts they'd receive all season. Lord, what are we supposed to do now? Dejected, my husband and I parked the car and walked up the hill to the firehouse. We looked over and saw another man get out of his car at the same exact time and walk alongside us. When we got to the front door, he looked confused. Isn't the vote here today? He asked us. I knew what he was referring to. There was a special referendum up for vote, but it wasn't being held here. Not at this firehouse. We have a Christmas party today, I answered. The man shook his head. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was here. He said. He then looked at us and checked out our anxious expressions. If you're here for a party, why the long faces? I was a bit too worried to sit and chit chat, but I told him our problem. How could we send a child home without a present? There was a sudden pause when the man asked, How many toys do you need? I may be able to help. And he did. With minutes to spare before the children arrived, the man burst through the door, his arms overflowing with bags of toys. We quickly piled them on tables and covered them with tablecloths, awaiting the moment when our Santa would reveal the gifts. The children were ecstatic. One little girl picked an Easy Bake Oven, something she'd wanted for years. This is the best Christmas ever, the children said. We needed a Santa Claus, and we were sent Major Tom Quigley, who just happened to be of the local Marine Toys for Tots program. Tom had already collected all the presents we needed. And with Tom's help that day, we were able to give the kids an unforgettable Christmas. Now what are the chances of that? To run into him, of all people, when they were in need of help. No coincidence there, little miracles everywhere. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. Our next true account is a Christmas survival story. Sadly, there are accidents on Christmas all over the world, with snow, sleet, ice, and many people on the roads trying to reach their destinations. Things can happen. And by all accounts, the story of Donna Molnar should be a bleakly tragic one. This is the Christmas vanishing. After setting out for the local store in her hometown in Canada one Christmas, Donna was caught in a fierce blizzard and vanished. They couldn't find a trace of her anywhere. And with this severe Canadian weather, many were scared for her. Her SUV apparently got lodged in a remote field, and to make things even worse, she didn't have any type of winter clothing, and she had no means of heat. Donna's chances of survival out there were slim to none. Teams were working around the clock to find her, but you know how it goes. 24 hours went by, then 48 hours went by, and there was no sign of Donna. Three days after she disappeared, a member of the search party saw something. From a distance, he saw a woman's body lying in a snowdrift. This was a sight that everyone feared. He naturally assumed the worst. Except, he approached and found the half-buried woman was alive. That's right. Somehow, unbelievably, 
Donna Molnar had survived 72 hours in temperatures that would kill anyone. She spent a large portion of those three days literally lying in a snowdrift. She was rushed to the ER and doctors were amazed. She only had hypothermia and mild frostbite. That's it. For the amount of time she was out there alone, she should be dead, but she wasn't. Her case defied logic and science. This was truly a miracle. Look, I don't need to get into the stats and chances of someone surviving out in a blizzard for days with no winter clothing or heat. We all know those odds. And that's what makes Donna's story even more incredible. Donna had someone looking out for her out there. Our final story is a historic one. A story that really touches your heart and I will try to get through without tearing up. War. According to the New York Times, at least 108 million people have been killed in wars in the 20th century. 108 million. The estimate for total number killed in wars throughout all of human history range from 150 million to 1 billion. 1 billion souls. In battle, the mentality is to win by any means necessary. But on Christmas Day 1914, during World War I, something absolutely incredible happened. This is the World War I Christmas Truce. On Christmas Day 1914, hundreds of troops had spent the months before watching their friends die the most horrific ways imaginable. They hadn't seen their loved ones, hadn't spoken to their families. It was a time of despair across the world. That Christmas Day, something happened. All the soldiers unexpectedly all threw down their weapons and stopped fighting. This action was of their own. There were no orders from above telling them to do so. There was no real formal truce. Just a thousand tired, weary, sad men determined not to let this Christmas day be as painful and miserable as all the others. This set off an unthinkable chain of events. All along the battlefields of France, British, German, and French troops all refused to fight. Refused. Instead, they all sang Christmas carols and shared food and cigarettes with one another. One British troop even started a fun soccer match with their German enemies, one that was full of friendliness, laughter, and Christmas cheer. And this mentality didn't just last the day. According to the BBC, some troops refused to begin fighting again for weeks afterwards. Instead, they dragged the truce all the way into January. In the midst of the worst slaughter mankind has ever known, these frightened kids had the foresight, the wisdom, the humanity, to make sure everyone there, French, British, German, got the Christmas that they deserved. And if that isn't a miracle, I don't know what is. Ooh, who is cutting onions? There's a lot of turmoil in the world right now, but one thing to remember is there's still a lot of good out there too. And speaking of the good, each and every one of you guys are a miracle in my life. I'm so grateful for you that I get to come into your lives every week, so thank you all. And share this episode with your friends, family, coworkers, anyone that you feel needs a little pick-me-up. Maybe put it on as you're baking Christmas cookies or cooking with your family. Sit around the fire one of these nights. Share the hope and let's spread the miracles. God bless you all. I hope that this episode touched you, inspired you, and if it did, please leave a rating and a review. 
on Apple Podcasts and make sure you're all subscribed up on the Avery After Dark YouTube channel. I want to make sure you never ever miss a story. Until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.